Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of what should be the goal of teaching. Hello, I'm David Bolton, and welcome to my podcast channel dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, notice how I worded the title of this episode, What Should Be the Goal of Teaching? There's a problematic word there, should. (laughs) Should has certain connotations. You should do this, you should do that, you shouldn't do this, right? It's it's kind kind of subjective. What should be the goal of teaching? Well, it depends on what you want to achieve. If you're outside and you want to dig a big hole, you should have some kind of implement with which to dig it. Could you do it with your hands? Well, if you have really rough hands and if the soil isn't too densely packed, I guess you could. So why would you say to a friend who's trying to dig that hole with his hands, you should have a shovel? Well, because it could be much easier. In other words, you assume that he has a goal of digging a hole, right? And you assume that he doesn't want to ruin his hands and fingernails and spend much, much more time digging that hole. You just assume, it's an assumption, you assume that that it would be better with the shovel for him because he would save time, he'd be much cleaner, much more effective, right? Are you totally right in that assumption? Well, almost certainly so. Your friend has probably gone mad if he's out there digging a hole in the backyard with his hands. But then, for example... Imagine that scene. Next door neighbor sees neighbor out there digging a hole with his hands. He goes and says, hey, Frank, uh, you really should have a shovel if you want to dig a hole. But Frank says, well, you know, I teach at the local university. We, of course, we're friends. Of course, I know that. Uh, You teach anthropology. Frank says, yes, I teach anthropology. And we're talking about the earliest hominids and humans and how they they started to use tools. But before they used tools, uh, uh, they had to maybe dig for some purpose. And they didn't have any tools, assuming you go back far enough, right? They're just like basically animals. They were a little more intelligent than other animals. And so they, they dug a hole, they used their hands. I just want to see how tough it would be. Uh, I said, I have rough hands anyway, because I'm into carpentry, as you know, my hands are, you know, I, I do a lot of physical labor in my free time. And I just want to see how long it would take me to dig a sizable hole with my hands. Suddenly, it's a totally different situation. You first thought, hey, my neighbor Frank must have gone crazy. He's digging a hole with his hand. What's the matter with that guy? And you give him well-meaning advice. You should be using a shovel. But no, in that case, he should not be using a shovel. He should be digging with his hands because he wants to discover how long it takes a normal human with pretty rough hands anyway. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't even try such a thing. But somebody with really rough hands without a calluses anyway, well, they can really do it. And he wants to see how long it would take him. So it's perfectly sensible. I just say that as a prelude to this episode. So you know that when we use words like should, maybe we're wrong. Could I be wrong here? Yes, of course, when I say what should be the goal of teaching. And I say it as a question, an open-ended question, really. I'm not going to give you a definitive answer here. But let's go through two possibilities, two main lines of possibility. Now, I can speak somewhat from experience because I've taught different things in my life. I've taught, I taught music for many years. I taught English for many years. I taught German for a while too. 
uh, when I was younger, I taught, I was an assistant martial arts trainer as well. So I taught that. I taught general things like maybe to kids that had trouble in doing schoolwork. And so that even included mathematics, but they were kids in the first few years of school. I, I'm not a mathematics teacher, really. And uh, astrology, I taught too. Probably a few other things that I can't think of uh, that I've also taught. My goal for teaching, I will tell you later, but let's look at the standard person, what Cliff High, look him up, would call the normies, normal people. You ask a normal person, uh, is this about learning, the opposite of teaching? Well, I could see it like that. As a teacher, you learn maybe sometimes more than some of your students learn, but that's beside the point here, perhaps. Why do people learn? I could phrase, I want to say, why do teachers teach? I say, well, I teach so my students can pass the next exam. That's why I'm teaching today, this week. Well, but okay, beyond that, why you teach? Well, so they can pass the course. Well, beyond that, well, so they can get from, say, freshman year to sophomore year. And besides that, well, so they can finish and get high school, get their high school diploma. And beyond that, well, if I were a university teacher, you know, students still have to learn so they get into college. And then, well, so they pass their courses there. And then, well, they, so they get their degree. And then, well, so they can go on if they want to a master's degree. Why, why a degree? Any, well, so they can get a job, right? And why a master's? Well, so they can get a better job. And then maybe a doctorate. Why that? Well, so they can get even a better job, a university or wherever, some scientific institution if it's a doctorate in some specific science. Uh, well, that's very practical, isn't it? One thinks of Jeremy Bentham and William James and such people, utilitarianism, right? It's, it's useful. You learn because it's useful to learn because we have to make money and we want a, a pleasant job or one that's maybe more interesting. And so we learn. So in the end, we're making a good salary and, uh, and then we can stop learning. Now, of course, that sounds funny, but I actually know a guy studied engineering and he said he, he hasn't read a book in years. He just doesn't like to read because when studying, he you know read had to read books and he's just sick of it. So so he just doesn't read books anymore. Fortunately, that's an exception. A really nice guy, by the way, an intelligent guy too. But he just doesn't read books anymore. Most of us, though, we study something. We like if that subject really interested us, then we like to continue learning along those lines. In the case of say general school teachers, usually they do that because maybe something else could be too challenging for them. So, well, I'll become a school teacher. And they do well because you have to make money somehow. Maybe they're like kids as well. Well, that's all always helps. They're like young people. But whether a lot of those school teachers then spend their free time studying how to become a better school teacher, how to you know, read more about sociology, child psychology, maybe they want to get into that. Some do, and some might end up getting a degree in child psychology to be better teachers. Most don't. We see this on different levels of uh, society. Uh, policemen. I knew a policeman years ago who was uh, working, he just got his uh, undergraduate degree in psychology. He was going to go to take master's course. I said, oh, well, John, you want to you want to become a psychologist and give up law enforcement? He said, no, no, I love being a cop. He was, I think, a sheriff. What was his position? I don't know, chief of police in some town. I believe he was in Gettysburg, PA at one point. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. It's not, it's not for that reason I'm delving into psychology so much. I said, why? He said, well, as a police officer, you meet some pretty crazy people, but also pretty messed up people with all kinds of social problems and things. And the possibility of violence is very great. He said he's been in, he had been in violent confrontations 
knock down, drag out fights. And he was a little guy, but boy, he was tough. He would, he would, he would take him in at the end, right? And he wouldn't give up. But he said, the more you know about psychology, the more you can talk these people into a calm state and make the arrest calmly. And then you don't have to hit them. You don't have to use your nightstick. You don't have to pull your gun on them. And I thought, I was 15 when I knew this guy. I thought, wow, what an admirable policeman. When <laughs> you think about it, right? He was a guy who loved to learn. And he wanted to be better at what he did through learning more. I know some school teachers do the same thing. They want to become better, learn more about psychology, child psychology, learn more about everything, learn more about, about the areas they teach, whether it's math or whatever. But many of them, they just, they have the job because it's a job, right? But still, that's acceptable because why they have the job in the first place. If they didn't have to make money, they wouldn't even be school teachers. That's an interesting thing to ask people, isn't it? Uh, if you ever have time and you ask somebody working in McDonald's, if it's if not many customers there or they may say, can I ask you a question, kid or ma'am or whoever's working there? Sometimes older people work there now. When I was young, it was mostly young people. Now you see people, maybe some immigrant 50 years old working there. And that's fine. They're willing to start at the beginning, even at 50, work at McDonald's. That's fine. But you ask people, why are you working? Or say, if you won the lottery, would you still be working here? And they're probably laughing, are you crazy? Of course not. <laughs> you could ask an accountant even, hey, hey, sir, if if you won, a, you won 10 million bucks, would you be working accountant at this firm? Most likely they'll, they'll laugh at you too. Of course not. You say, will you be doing anything related to your, oh, they might say, oh, yes, I've always wanted to have time to write a book on accounting because I have some new ideas. They, somebody might say that. If I had $10 million, I'd have a nice house someplace, maybe near the beach or wherever in the mountains, whatever tickled my fancy at that moment. And then I just retire to write a book about accounting because I've experienced so much in the accounting world. Problems accountants have. You think that's a creative person. That's a person who loves accounting. But it's an interesting test. Ask yourself that, whatever job you have. If you won the lottery, 10 million bucks, would you stay at your current job? And if you say, no, I wouldn't, then you have a job, but you don't really, and a profession even, but not a vocation, not really a calling. That's not really your calling necessarily. You see the difference. Your profession could be, maybe it's a doctor, maybe you got into it part because you wanted financial security. If you ask a doctor, would you still be working so many hours, even night shifts at the hospital if you had suddenly $100 million? You notice I don't say 10 million because a lot of doctors are millionaires, but they don't want to retire yet because they want even more. But if they have 100 million, well then, uh, they might say, no, forget it. I've dealt with enough sick people. But there you might have a higher percentage of people would say, well, I would go in more to research because I'd really like to find that cure for cancer or whatever. But in many other jobs, that's really not the case. So what's the goal of learning? So often in society, it's simply to get a job to make money. It's necessary, but it's a little sad, really, I would think. So the goal of teaching is to get the kids to that level. That's why the entire educational system is geared precisely to that. And it's, I don't want to say rigged, it's set up for that. You go through grade school, you go through high school, go, and then maybe you go through college, uh, this degree, that degree, or whatever. All so that you can get the best job possible. The universities make fortunes on that. You know, it used to be, say, 100 years ago, 120 years ago, if you had... If you had a, a college degree, an undergraduate degree in anything, you'd get jobs so easily. Because so many people around that weren't even, that didn't even graduate from grade school, if you go back, say, 150 years, let alone high school, let alone, you know, any college, right? 
These days, the undergraduate degree will get you absolutely nothing. You have people in McDonald's working there that have degrees, or even master's degrees. Oh, they're working in Starbucks, just can't find anything else. If their goal was to make money, they did it pretty poorly, obviously, because they sort of thought, wait a minute, I'm going into this area. Is this an area that makes money? Is the area of sound or music teaching going to make me enough money to live? <laughs> Probably not, right? So maybe if the goal was make money, get into something else. You know, uh, that's going off in another direction. That's the episode I'll make in the future, advising young people how they should realistically view their future. And I'd be a negative example of that because I didn't go for all these higher degrees or whatever and go down the trodden path. I've done so many things in my life and made some, made some good money at some points and been poor at other points and loving it all. <laughs> I have to say in a sense, looking back, I'm at 66, looking back in my life, I've had ups and downs of life. And uh, my goal was different though. My goal was the things that fascinate me to get into them more deeply and to really delve into things. And uh, I'm never satisfied with what I've achieved. I've achieved totally, but I'm satisfied with the path and I'm so happy I went down that path. I'm not recommending it for you people out there. I can say, uh, I got married late. We don't have any children. When you, you get married young, you have children, you have to get out there and, and start you know, bringing in significant amounts of money, as you know. So that's right for you. It, uh, it wouldn't be, have been right for me in my life. I see that more and more clearly the older I get. We all have our reasons to be here on earth. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So the goal of teaching. The one goal of teachers is to get the pupils at the level necessary to simply pass and to move on and in the end to have a profession or to get a decent job and make money. And that's practical, very utilitarian. And I'm not knocking that really. Uh, I saw teaching totally differently in that sense. Uh, I think for that reason, I never would have fit into the system. Yeah, at one point, I taught in a school in Spain. It was a language school teaching English. You try to get kids a certain point in English. Okay, fine. But then it was always this, oh, yes, get them points so they can pass this test. So we're going to do things that they typically put on that test so they can get this first certificate, some kind of British thing, uh, test in English. I don't see it like that. My goal was to get them to speak, read, and write good English. If they can do that, they're going to pass any tests that are thrown at them. But the goals in schools are, well, most kids, uh, they have to get some kind of diploma for this test. So we're going to train them to pass this test. This is happens in, in schools, right? Uh, that's for me foreign. It's foreign to my nature and way of thinking. My goal as a teacher, no matter what I was teaching, was to get the people, whether a young or older, depending on what I taught, because I taught, like I said, many things, many different levels of people, to get them to the level where they don't need me anymore. In other words, ideally it would be to teach them what I can give them and then say, student, there are people that can give you more than I can. Find those people, maybe I can recommend some names, but I can't give you any more than that. As a piano teacher, I was not a great pianist. Yeah, I could play all right, right? And I could play better than some people are teaching piano and worse than others are teaching piano, you know. Uh, but I always try to get the pupils to the point where they're independent of me. And say, now it's time for you to move on. Uh, there's some teacher, uh, that's a problem sometimes because, for example, music teaching, you teach a guitar or piano, whatever, you need the income, so you want to keep your pupils. And I've known people that they don't really like the pupils, but they keep, oh, I need the money, right? And okay, I understand the necessity of that. 
but it's kind of sad, really. It should be teaching the students as much as you can. You think, well, they would benefit more from another teacher, so give them another teacher. That would be the ideal. But it's the money thing, once again. If I teach astrology, and I've done that before, I try to, as quickly as possible, bring the people level that they understand what should be understood. Not that I tell them everything I know about astrology. That would take years and years, and then they're dependent on me. I don't want people to be dependent on me in that sense. I don't want to be the guru that, oh, yes, I, well, we're going to be your pupils for the next 20 years. They could be because I've been in astrology over 40 years, and I give them a lot of knowledge there. But I don't want that. I want to teach them certain basic, I don't want to say just basics, and no, they can learn that elsewhere, learn basic ways of viewing the subject that would make them independent thinkers. And if they're independent thinkers, I don't have to teach them all the little bits of knowledge that I have about the subject. I don't have to teach them that. I teach them how to think correctly as far as astrology is concerned or whatever area so that they themselves can then expand on that and they've become creative thinkers themselves. That has always been my goal no matter what I taught. But some people would have problems with that as well. They might say, well, I have to pass certain tests. So I want to know what I need for this test. Well, okay, that's practical. I could do that, of course. I've done that uh, for English, for example. Sometimes people need that, and I teach them that. But sometimes they need something else. For example, I had one student in Granada. He was working on, uh, uh, I think it was his, was his, his doctorate. It was a higher degree where he had to give, uh, but it had to be in English because it was in the area of English, and he had to give a talk of like uh, about his thesis or something, 20 minutes, I forget how long it was, 20, 30 minutes. And he gave given before, but he failed. Now, I knew this guy. I knew that he knew the subject pretty well, and I thought, well, why exactly did he fail? But I know something about him. This guy, frankly speaking, was a boring speaker. Now, you know what it's like on those, uh, what do they call them, though? Oh, he had to do oposiciones, that's what it was. It's a Spanish thing where it's a pass a state exam, and it's really hard to do. It's not like in America with civil service exams. It's really hard. In other words, they might be hiring 1,000 people, but 100,000 people take this exam, and you, know, you have to be in the top 1%. If you're not, you don't get it. Now, he knew his stuff, but he failed the other time. And I thought, this is kind of strange. He failed before. This is one of the reasons why he wanted English lessons with me. He said, can you prepare me for this test? I said, well, the specific things you're doing had to do with, I don't know, literature and, and sociology. I forget what it was altogether. But I said, I'm not an expert in all of those areas, so I can't help you with that. But I think I know what your problem is. He said, well, what? I said, I don't, I'm not saying this to insult you. I forget the guy's name. Really nice guy, though. I said, you're a boring speaker. He kind of laughed. I said, well, yeah, I kind of know. I said, if, I'm going to imitate him now. Well, he had, of course, sp Spanish accent. I won't imitate that part. But he would talk like this, and he would say, yes, when somebody learns, they, they should learn to try to expand their horizons and do that. Da, da, da. You know what I mean? Was his name Jorge? I don't really remember his name. I said, look, man, we're going to do this. You have your test, I think it was in two months. I'm going to give you some training on how to be an interesting speaker. He said, really? But it's about the content here. I said, no, no, you're mistaken. It's not just about the content. I see you know the, your content pretty well. But imagine this, the people that are on that jury, I forget how many were, like four or five experts there, and they were to judge who passes and who fails, right? You come in there, you talk in that tone of voice. I don't care if you're talking about physics and you're, if you're Albert Einstein. 
you might well fail because they're, ha they're half asleep when you start talking and you've put them to sleep by the time you finish. They're not listening to what you're saying. And I'm going to teach you how to say it in a way that they're going to listen. And they're going to pick up your voice and you're going to manipulate them like, like puppets, like marionettes. You're going to have the strings attached to their heads and to your fingers. You're going to be, you're going to be moving them around. You'll say, wow, it sounds exciting. So I actually did that. And guess what? He passed his oppositiones. He passed the test. <laughs> he said, thank you, Pastor. I said, yeah, really? Elementary, <laughs> in a sense. What did I do for him? I taught him to observe, first of all. I said, don't just concentrate on what you're saying. Look at the face of those people. If you see they're getting bored, change the course. In the middle of your sentence, for example, when talking about, you know, as far as the goals of teaching, I'm going to imitate it for you. As far as the goals of teaching is concerned, you could go in one direction. That would be, well, teaching to get your pupils to a level where they can then make money. But then there's another path you can go down. And, that, and you notice somebody's getting a little tired. Oh, and they say, oh, what, what? They wake up, you say, and this path is this. You notice that clapping, you've caught their attention. Oh, what's going on here? Right? They wake up. But you integrate it in such a way that it looks like, yes, now comes the main point. So that's why I'm clapping. And that is to teach people with the goal of getting them to be independent thinkers. Notice how I said that. I didn't say the main goal of teaching in a more sublime sense is to get people to be independent thinkers. I would say the main goal of teaching in a sublime sense is to get them to be independent thinkers. You notice the difference? <laughs> you notice the difference? And believe me, on any jury that's listening to you, if you're doing your doctorate, you have to give some kind of thesis and an oral thing there. Uh, yeah, it can make a big difference. Now, of course, you have to have studied what you're presenting. If you're doing a, a master's in musicology uh, on, I don't know, the, the, the keyboard sonatas of Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, Bach's second son, and you haven't really studied all of them to a certain degree, and you haven't noticed the similarities in all of his works and how his works differ from one period of his life to another. If you don't know that, you're not going to get any kind of degree, <laughs> right? You have to know your stuff. But I'm saying once you know your stuff, once you think, well, I can't study 24 hours a day. I know stuff pretty well, and you know my written thesis is good and everything, okay, but now I have to present some oral, oral presentation of this. Uh, there's so many ways you can do it. If you're a good speaker, uh, this gives you an advantage. And in his case, it won him his goal of passing these tests. He could be, uh, I forget what level of schooling, a higher level of schooling, where, you know, where we could teach. And uh, we get a really good salary. And teaching in Spain, you're usually a civil servant where they practically can't fire you, a really steady job. So I helped the guy a lot. I didn't charge him anymore either. I charged him the normal price for English class. I had a good price back then that practically anybody could pay. And I did it just because I like to do it. It was fun to do. And that's what teachers, I think, should take into account. Not just the material. This is a mistake many teachers make. They teach history. And they're teaching history to a modern, <laughs> modern day class for whom the assassination of John F. Kennedy is ancient history. Okay, November 22nd, 1963. But if you're 20 years old, that's, that's history, right? Uh, There's another example. I had a girl in Spain teaching her English. She's 14 years old. She said, my English teacher is so boring. As we say about the, the death of that president was named Kennedy. Okay, so they shot him. And, uh, so boring. I said, what? Boring? 
And she said, yeah, it was so boring, I couldn't even stand to listen to it. I said, okay, wait a minute here. Marina was her name, remember her name. I said, let me tell you that story. And I spent like 20, 25 minutes telling the story. She said, wow. She said, wow, what a great story. Why doesn't my teacher teach like that? I said, well, I guess she doesn't really know how to teach. Because the death of JFK, I mean, if you don't go into the so-called conspiracy theories, for me, it's like the opposite. To say it's only one man that killed him and nobody else was involved, that's the conspiracy theory because believe me, the evidence is overwhelming that it was, was really a conspiracy there. But if you just go into the circumstance of death about how that motorcade turned the corner and then he's waving the crowd and it was a hot day, he didn't want the dome over the car and it's just the, the real things that happened and then some shots ring out and people start to panic and, and his head explodes and his wife is panicky and tries to leave the car by crawling out the back of the car and a secret service agent has to push her back in because it was so dangerous, more shots. If you tell that in an exciting way, anybody would be fascinated. Unless they're a vegetable, I don't know. I mean, really. So the goal of teaching should be to get the point across and to actually communicate. That's a more basic level than, I mean, the, the title of this episode is the goal, like, you know, what you want to achieve in the end. Well, to master the subject, either to, to have a job or to even go more deeply into it because you're really just fascinated with the subject and you know that all your life you will be with this subject. With me with music, I'm still doing music, being more creative than ever in a sense. Uh, and I can't, even though I'm not making any money with it, well, just very little, a couple of pupils. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to make any, I used to make pretty good money with music out of music school, etc. But those days are past and that's fine. I just have to be creative with music because I love it. So I have to be creative. Astrology, I'm delving into that and learning its limits, learning its possibilities more and more. That's an interesting area. It's not what you see in your newspaper every day, believe me. In other areas, like what's going on in the world now with these vaccines politically, I'm delving into that and discovering things that are just very, very interesting, let's say. Uh, and in any area I'm interested in, I'd like to go into it deeper and deeper just because it gives me joy. I'm not doing this because one thing might bring me money. Okay, maybe it will someday. Fine. Fine. I'll be happy. If not, that's also fine. I do. I follow my, my uh, instincts. Go down the past, I think, here. I could most serve humanity. I put it that way. The things I can contribute in these areas are more than I could contribute in other areas. So that's my goal as far as learning is concerned. I recognize that some people need more practical goals there as in money-making. But in any case, if you're a teacher, first and foremost, communicate. You must learn how to communicate with the people, how to fascinate the kids. I know that's almost mission impossible. You can fascinate someone, others still won't like you, they'll still fall asleep, they still whatever, right? I know that's practically mission impossible. I've taught in classes before. It's a pain. I, I gave it up as soon as I could for that. Well, that's one of the reasons why I would give it up, right? Uh, but to teach people, to help them understand, that's what it should be about. You should try to make your pupils competent in that area, not just memorize things and learn facts. American Civil War from 1861-1865, no, not just that, but why did it come about? How would they have acted? You play this game with anybody you're teaching, whether you're an adult or little, how would you react in this situation or that one? Let's make a quantum leap here to martial arts. I had some experience that with karate I had for years. A little bit of judo. I was lousy in judo. I'm tall and thin. For all you judo kai out there, you know what that means. If 
if you have an opponent who's taller than you are and he's he's thin, <laughs> you can throw him easily, right? Little jujitsu. I had uh, Filipino Filipino stick fighting, Arnes even. Uh, so I know a little about that. That's years and years ago, but nonetheless. Some schools of martial arts will teach you this technique, this technique, this technique. But, you know, I prefer schools to say, okay, you're out in the street. This happens. How, how do you react? Somebody comes up to you, asks you for money. You say, no, I don't have any money or I don't want to give you money, whatever. And he raises his hand to hit you like that. What do you do? Make them think, first of all. Don't just say, well, if they do this, you do this. They do this, you do this. That's like preparing kids for a test, Right? Uh, when was the American Civil War? 1861, 1865. It's, it's like that in a way. No, get them to actually think before you teach them anything. Somebody comes on the street and they go like this, what do you do? Well, if they're new in the class, they say, well, I don't know what to do. That's why I'm here, teacher. Please, sensei, teach me how to defend myself. But first you should know what they would instinctively do because one person might say, well, I would do this and maybe it's right. Maybe that person knows that maybe he grew up in a tough neighborhood and he, maybe he reacts instinctively just the right way, enough to defend himself. And you know, well, this, this pupil, he has instincts. This pupil doesn't. This pupil will say, well, I guess I'll just have to let him hit me because I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to, you know, a simple block, right? Or not even get out of the way, right? Some people, some thug goes up to hit him and they don't even try to get out of the way. They just stand there like the deer in the headlights and they get hit, <laughs> you know, really. So you try to get your pupils to actually think first. Then you say, okay, let's explore possibilities. What could you do in that situation? First and foremost, how about get out of the way? Even before you block, in many martial arts schools, they teach you, well, you do this block, right? But suppose now you're a woman and you're 5'2", and you have a slender build, and the predator is, say, 6'2", and he's like a muscle man. And so you're going to teach that small woman, 5'2", and not muscular at all. You're going to teach that woman that when this big brute comes and he wants to hurt you, so he raises, he's going to sl slam you in the face. You're going to use this block. Uh, if you've done martial arts, you know what I mean here, maybe. When I was 15, I started martial arts. And, uh, well, okay, I, I was about six, my, my present height, about 6'2", six 6'1", two, six six at that time, right? Uh, but I was, I was thin. I wasn't a muscular guy. Okay, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. Maybe I knew a little something, right? But I remember one time, one time my sparring partner, this was this guy, he was about 30. He was like a bodybuilder. <laughs> oh my God. So we had to exercise. He would punch and I would block and then the other way around. I went home with my arms black and blue because this guy was like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> but now imagine if I'd been a 5'2 girl, not very strong. There's no way she could block his punches. And if he kicks, oh my God. So in other words, there too, it's not enough to just teach a technique. No, first thing you teach is how to get out of the way of that assault and what things you could do. I won't get into that now. This is a, <laughs> a podcast on any kind of martial art or martial arts in general. But I'm just saying it's about teaching. First, you should see where your pupil is now mistake a lot of teachers make also. They have a student or students and they start teaching something, but the students already know that. Well, first the teacher should ascertain what those students have learned before that. And some don't do that. No, this is in the book I'm going to teach you. Open to page one. They say, well, teacher, we already had that. Oh, really? Uh, well, we're going to do it again. Just because, you know, whatever. Communicate. Fascinate. Impart. Communicate fascinate, impart, as in knowledge. 
first you establish the line of communication with the person. Then you fascinate them. You say things such a way that it, they don't fall asleep, at the very least that. And preferably that they're kind of fascinated by what you say. And then you impart the knowledge because the line of communication is open and they are fascinated. They're just waiting for you to tell them something then. And then you give them the knowledge. You see what I mean? So on a practical level, on a methodical level, that's what you should do. That's the goal of teaching, to do it that way. Be sure you transmit the knowledge in a way that fascinates them, not that bores them, but that fascinates them. So they, so they go home thinking, gee, I want to learn more about the American Civil War, <laughs> right? Not to say it was 1861 to 1865. What does that mean to a young person? What does that mean? But if you explain the background of it, and you throw in some personal stories from people back then, well, that can fascinate them. They think, well, I want to know more about that. Uh, you see the difference. And as far as the ultimate goal of teaching is concerned, as I said at the beginning, I can't give you an ultimate answer there. If the person you're teaching, whether young or old, has a specific goal, it could be an older person, and they have, they have one degree, but they're working towards another one, and you're an expert in that, and so you're teaching them that because they want to get the degree to get a better job or whatever it is. Uh, then they have a specific goal they want to reach, and they're interested in it anyway. It'll probably be an easier path. But there too, you want to make it even more interesting for them. And they have a specific goal, and you're helping them achieve that goal. Fine. Uh, but it's, in general, as I said, my path was always to try to get the pupil to the point where they don't need or want me anymore. They think I've learned enough from, from this person, and I'm now thinking independently within this area and I know the type of thought and thinking processes I should uh, employ to get even further in this area. So now I'm free as a bird to, to explore it further on my own. So as a teacher, don't try to make your pupils dependent on you. I know of the guru phenomenon, and you know some good gurus out there, some people from whom you can learn a lot, even you know not the Indian type guru, people like Anthony Robbins, I respect him highly. You can learn a lot from an Anthony Robbins. But uh, I think he would say similar things to the ones. Maybe not, though, because he's made millions of dollars being this type of self-help guru. And, uh, you know, if he wants to continue in that path, he has to continue being the guru. Uh, that's not my path. Uh, I, I, that would, in a way, it would sadden me to have so many people that still think they're dependent on me, get them to the point where they don't need you. And I think he does do that, but a lot of people just by nature want to continue following the guru. I'm not trying to, to criticize Anthony Robbins here in, in any way. And he's just an example. Anyway, you know what I mean? Learn to think for yourself. And here, if you're a teacher, teach people to think for themselves. This is one of the things that is not being done today in schools at all levels, not nearly as much as it should. I should make that the subject of a of another episode all on its own teach your students what is necessary in the area that you teach so that they gradually become independent of you teach them to think in the right way think in the right way think with an open mind concentrate on what's really essential in the area and teach them how to expand their knowledge of that on their own so they're not dependent on you. Then you will be, I think, an ideal teacher if you do it in that manner. Don't make people dependent on you. 
make them free as birds, but give them what they need in order to fly. And when following Socrates, going down his path, you know, we don't just have to walk. Sometimes we can actually fly. And it's a great feeling, isn't it? With that, I wish you a fine day or night, depending on where you are. Until the next time. Bye now. Thank you.